Welcome to The Steer, the show where we talk to writers about music and musicians about books. Hosted by Jeff Alessandrelli and Joshua James Amberson. Joshua. Jeff. How are you? Doing really well. How are you really? Okay. Yeah, just just okay. I feel that. Yeah. Um summer. Summer. Summertime. Summertime. It's my least favorite season. Mine too. Yeah. Is it really? It is, yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. Um I don't like extremes. I don't like living in extremes. So I really like fall and spring. Not that they cannot can't be extreme, but that they're a little more balanced than summer and winter. Yeah, I get eczema in summer. Oh, I do too. I I usually get it in winter, but this summer I'm getting it. Well, because I take hot baths no matter the season. Oh yeah. And uh, it, it yeah, I get eczema because I because because then it's hot out, and then I exacerbate that by getting in really hot water, and then I scratch, and then I also have a problem. You know, I got a big dog, and so mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't. I, I'm not good at taking off covers. Like I'll, I'll sweat. Mm. The pains of pampering oneself. <laughs> is, is our covers that pampering? Yes. I, <laughs> I don't know. Hot it's baths bougie. and covers. Yeah, that's right. In I, summer. I, I live, I live yeah. a very bougie life. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> that wasn't an insult. Just, you're felt, not a bougie person. It felt like a little bit of a barb, as no. they say in the industry. I prefer, I prefer un-bougie people, non-bougie people to bougie people. What What would a bougie person be, I though? Just more putting on, like, designer I stuff? No, I mean, I don't know. I, was, I guess I just don't like snobs. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think I'm snobbish. Yeah. I mean, I was reading about this pro skater who skates in these Prada pants. Oh, really? Well, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's a it's a trend. And the seven hundred and fifty dollars. They're yeah. like they're to go skating in. Yeah, and they look. They're like they're like shants. They're crossed between shorts and pants. They oh. look stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but you wear them. Well, it's just one person, but wears them because you know they cost seven hundred and fifty dollars. Um, Kyle Morton. Kyle Morton. Yeah. Are uh, you, what's, what's your, um, familiarity with Kyle and his work? Um, my familiarity with Kyle and his work is I first got introduced to, uh, I first got introduced to him and not really his music, but him, I guess, as a musician through my friend, Zach Schomburg, because at Poetry Press Week and, I don't know, I'm kind of making this up, but maybe 2014, um, they played together, or Kyle played, and uh, Zach, people read, Poetry Press Week is basically when um, other performers perform a poet's work, mm-hmm. um, and they, they did it at this cool art gallery disjecta, but Kyle played, um, and other people performed Zach's work, uh, and it was a poem about a haircut. Um, right. So I did not know, but then I subsequently, um, and I guess, yeah, that was a little bit ago, but I subsequently got into Typhoon and I met a couple of the other band members and I think White Lighter um, was the first, yeah, White Lighter I think was the first album and then, yeah, I think that and then their Offerings album too. I mean, you know, and they're kind of a Portland powerhouse band. So. They are, yeah. What about yeah. you? 
Uh, I knew them more in terms of the band Typhoon, at least in terms of their renown, than having actually listened to them a whole lot. You know, I'd heard their work, but uh, until recently hadn't really gone deep with it. And I heard that um, collaboration uh, between, um, with Kyle and Zach um, Schomburg because they put it out as an album on Kelly Sherman's Black Cake Black Cake records. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I quite liked it. but yeah, my first introduction to Typhoon was a couple years into them being a band. I think they started in 2005, and I heard them in 2007 because I was living in Olympia, and they did a split seven-inch with Lake, which is kind of a still a, like Typhoon started around the same time, a big band um, with a lot of people who had played in other bands, who uh, was just kind of an Olympia staple at the time, and. So I heard that seven inch. And so I, that was kind of, I knew they'd gotten really big. I saw them. Um, I kind of um, had played some shows with Shannon, the violinist mm. of Typhoon um, back in the day. And so when Typhoon played on Letterman, oh. uh, someone was like, Shannon was on Letterman the other day. And I was like, well, I have to watch that. you know. And so I, I saw their letterman performance and we realized that they were kind of a bigger band but um when were they on letterman i I would guess maybe four years ago five years ago so four um yeah oh maybe four white letter Letter, which came out 2013 so yeah six years ago okay almost and um yeah and so i i knew them a little bit but um until recently i hadn't really gone into their catalog but it was a real joy preparing for this interview to actually listen to white lighter and offerings because they're really cool albums they are yeah, yeah. and offerings i mean it's essentially a concept album so yeah. i mean, really you know as a songwriter kyle just seems like he goes very deep in this way that was um uh, familiar for as someone who most of the time now writes for the page you know that kind mm-hmm. of just that that depth and care really feels like it's there in a songwriting yeah and it feels very measured too yeah i mean yeah orderly is the wrong maybe measured is just the word yeah mm-hmm. um okay i guess without any further ado kyle morton the steer So, so Black Belt Eagle Scout is from Anacortes, and she works Black, at Mississippi. Black Belt Eagle Scout, she, I think she's originally from Anacortes, but I, I met Catherine. She's lived in Portland for many years. I met her probably like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. She had a band called Forest Park. Okay. And fun fact is uh, I was in the original lineup of Black Belt Eagle Scout, and that was the best band name I ever came up with. Oh, that's, yeah. that's your name. Uh, yeah. I'm that... bad at naming my own bands, but I'm good at naming <laughs> other people's bands. Why do you say you're bad at naming your own bands? Typhoon is a um, Typhoon was like the working project for what is now a Typhoon. It was just like a recording project. Um, sort of long story short, uh, we came up with the the project title when a couple of us were in Japan. We were like 18 years old, 
um, I had every intention of changing it. And then we started booking shows and we're like, well, we need, we need a name. So we'll, we'll use this. And then it, it just, it just stuck. And like, there are a few times where I think we could have changed it and I, and, and I didn't. And at this point it's just like my name, Kyle. It's like, I just identify with it. Right. But I don't know. As far as names go, I've, uh, I've thought of better ones. <laughs> But so you were in Japan when you came up with it, like typhoon season kind of in? Yeah, there was a typhoon in Japan at the time. Um, it was it was Toby Tanabe, who I've been playing music with since we were about 13. Uh, it was, so he, his family, his dad's from Japan. Um, so after we graduated high school, he and I and Tyler Farron, who's also in Typhoon, took a trip to Japan for a couple of weeks. They ended up staying on and living there for a year. Um, but we just you know, hung out in Tokyo, hung out in Kyoto, um, spent some time in Osaka, Wakayama. And at one point, one of Toby's dad's friends took us out to like a, a, a Ginza, a Japanese like kind of like businessman restaurant, uh -huh. as far as I could tell, and got us very drunk. We're all 18. Um, so what'd you do with the language barrier? So Toby speaks a little Japanese and understands it pretty well. Tyler spoke a little bit. And then for me, I just kind of was like along for the ride. I speak, you know, one word of Japanese. Um, what's what's that one word? <laughs> uh, all like yeah, domo arigato gozaimasu. That's actually three words, but just thank you so much. <laughs> I, just, I like this so. Yeah. If you just use if you just uh, I just kept saying that as much as possible. I was told that I was overdoing a little bit, but I just figured if I just was always saying thank you so much that that yes. goodbye yeah yeah. yeah. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but you got intoxicated at a restaurant. So yeah, so Toby's dad's friend took us out to this restaurant, and we got very. Sorry, I'm gonna put my keys over here. So That's they don't, totally fine. Right. Um, plied us with a lot of alcohol, and um, and at one point we were asking him, what was the difference between a hurricane and a typhoon? And the short answer is just regional, really. So, um, but he had like a very in our in in, in my like foggy recollection of it, it had a very like interesting and profound answer to that question about sort of the 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 divine violence that's in, inherent in a typhoon and i remember tyler and i looked at each other like typhoon yeah that's 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 genius let's go with that and then so it was, but then when did you start to dislike it um like i should i should be clear i i i never like dis <laughs> i never actively disliked it it it's just a great wasn't, name <laughs> it just wasn't yeah and over time it does seem sort of fitting this like it's you know, a, a force of nature. It's a that's, cacophony that's, that's, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's unpredictable. I can't really control it. It's just sort of this, yeah, it's a force of nature. So, um, yeah, so I've never actively disliked it, but it just it just stuck at one point. It, w it was a working title, and it stuck, so, um, yeah. All right, so Black Belt Eagle Scout was originally your... I just thought that was the coolest thing that somebody could be, is a Black Belt and an Eagle Scout. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I and I and I remember because we because I was playing with Catherine and our friend Nora, who was also in Typhoon for a while. Um, and they're all Catherine's songs, and we and Nora and I were just big fans. And she let us play in her band for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and we and we were calling the band My Man for a couple shows. And my then, Man, My Man, okay, My Man. Yeah, you have to say it kind of like a my, my Man, uh, My Man. Yeah, and then. I just came to a practice. I was like, what do you guys think about the name Black Belt Eagle Scout? And that, just, that was it. Wow. Yeah. They were in from the get-go? Yeah, yeah. Catherine liked Catherine it. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and then, you know, Typhoon is busy enough, so I, Catherine and I stopped playing music together years ago. But, um, but yeah, the name, I'm glad to see the name survived. Yeah. Um, are there other band names that you really like? Mm. 
Uh, you mean of other bands? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. and do you do you like the name Kyle? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like with Typhoon. I associate with Kyle very deeply. That it's that it's kind of um, like it's etymologically like neutral to me. Like like yeah. I just know it as myself. I don't think of like I know some people who think of the name Kyle as being having associations of you know. Um, I don't know, like like blonde beach boy or something. Oh, oh I, you I mean like cultural associations? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've okay. heard of all sorts of cultural associations that I don't that I don't associate with. I remember seeing my name on a list of like shittiest boy names <laughs> on Instagram a couple years ago, but um, never you know, thought about changing your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, it's going to be hard to reinvent myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's like Scottish for the hill that cows graze upon. It's a very exciting. Oh, no, no, that's the word derivative of <laughs> yeah, Scottish some, of the hills some, where cows. Something about uh, yeah. What I, I think I came across that translation once: the hill that cows graze upon. That seemed rather fitting for me. But that's cool. That's good. Yeah. What's your middle name? Ray. Oh. oh, Ray. It's almost like a country. I should be should have been in a. Country. Kyle Ray Moore. That actually does yeah. sound very good. Really yeah. I mean, because my name's Jeff. And <laughs> short for Jeffrey? Short for Jeffrey. Sure. And Joshua. Joshua. Okay. James. I knew a lot of Jeffs and Joshes growing up. See, and I and that was what I was gonna say. I thought yeah. growing up that it was a yeah. little bit it wasn't like Steve or I mean, maybe even like yeah. Kyle. Like it was a little bit off from left field, but a lot of there's a lot of Jeffs out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not it's not my middle name's Robert. Like, it's not there's, super... There's this kind of game theory thing that happens every generation of kids being named where you're trying to guess what's going to be the right name. Because, right. you know, it's like, oh, Matt was... Matt, yeah. we'll name our kid Matt. No one's going to do that. This right. is just what a beautiful name. And then it's like, oh, wait, well, I had like 16 Matts in my third grade class. Is yeah. It's like... the same with me where my yeah. mom had never met anyone named yeah. Joshua. Yeah. And so that exactly and then, so and, and, then, and then suddenly yeah and it's, so it's this thing where it's just in the it's in like the general desideratum that like just the, the name just it just that's fashion it's yeah just, I had almost were, spontaneously there were two others in like, in your all class. my elementary yeah. school classes See, it's yeah. the funny thing i think my parents were maybe slightly behind the times because i knew i knew kyle's that were like several grades older than me but i, I there were very few kyle's of, of my age growing up so like I was, I was just like late to the late to the Kyle party. And where'd you? But where'd you grow up? Salem, Oregon. Okay. So and that's where pre- Typhoon pretty close. started. Yeah, right? that's yeah. that's the that's the cradle of Typhoon. Yeah. yeah. All right. And it's still some of the same people. Though? A lot of them. A yeah. Lot of them, yeah. Right. Like the the original cast members that we still have are myself, uh, Tyler Farron, and Toby Tanabe, who I just met, mentioned. Uh, Devin Gallagher, who also engineered our first record. Dave Hall, Eric Stipe. Um, who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. No, I think uh, yeah, that, that's who we have right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Salem, Salem, really Salem, Salem kids stuck close together. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of. I mean, bands will help you do that. It just gives you like gives you an excuse to stay connected. Right. If, and you, have, if you have a show scheduled, you just have to practice. Yeah, you, know? you have to get together. At this point, we can't really get away with professional embarrassment anymore. So you right. Have to <laughs> Um, what'd your parents do though? So my dad was a chef, um, and he owned a restaurant in, mm. in Salem called Morton's Bistro. It's just best restaurant in Salem. Um, St- oh, so still around? No, he, he closed back in 2011. So recently, kind of. Um, Salem, Salem's, I have a lot of love for the, for the town of Salem, um, but, it, but 
uh, and I feel like you have to have a lot of love for it to make this criticism. Like, I think it's really easy for people to like cruise through on I five and say like, "Oh, what a dump!" And I always get my hackles up when people do that. Yeah. But for me, I have a lot of love for that place, but I have a lot of frustration with it too, because it's it's got such a cool. I mean, there's a lot like. It's overrepresented in like the amount of cool bands that come out of Salem, mm. like Wampire, um, Blitz and Trapper. Uh, there's, there's there's just a bunch of bands that interesting. Mm-hmm. Just don't know are from Salem. Um, there's not a lot of places to play music in Salem. There's there's the Ike Box. There's the Governor's Cup. There's a place called the Space now. Um, but it's just never been like a very good at fostering local venues. Also not terribly good at fostering local restaurants. So my dad's restaurant was open for 20, 20 plus years. Um, I remember like a couple years before he closed, there was like something in the Statesman Journal, which is a local paper about like Salem's voted number one favorite local restaurant. And like one year it was Applebee's. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I just remember my dad reading that like face palming and it's like, yeah, it's just Salem. What type of food was at the restaurant? Um, it? So it was like fine dining cuisine, sort of like European style um, steak and salmon and, and that kind of thing. Though though my dad is more decidedly proletariat in his own like taste, so it had like a cool mixture of like fine dining with some of the mm-hmm. yeah with, with I'd say more like um, divey street food influences. How did it feel having your name on as the name of a restaurant? Did, yeah, did growing up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it felt I, I, you know, just it, it, he opened it when I was let's see, when he, so I was like five years old. So interesting. It was always there. Um, so it's always kind of just a it was a fact of life. Yeah, just yeah. a fact of life. Life like like my name Kyle yeah. Warren's Bistro was always just a fact of life. So I I didn't think too much about that really until I, morton's steakhouse of chicago came with a cease and desist oh really <laughs> like mm. that must have been like in the mid 2000 uh early 2000s and uh like asking him to change his name he's like oh yeah sure if you want to pay me a million dollars like i'll change my name and they just never got back to us so oh yeah but i i i um because because more because morton's bistro in salem oregon was first I don't know if it was first, but it was definitely first in out here. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So Morton Chicago came in as kind of the big bully. Uh, which, what I mean, I don't. Is it a huge stake kind I of? I think so. There's one in Portland. Oh. It's uh yeah. There's also the Salt Company. They never they never I, bothered oh, with yeah. us. Oh yeah. 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 I was gonna say yeah. That, that's <laughs> in a ca- canonical. <laughs> yeah. 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 The Salt. So. Um, yeah, that's my name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My mom. My mom was a was a school teacher and then a principal. And now she's retired. And, oh. And so yeah, that was that was my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um. My mom was a teacher too. Oh really? Yeah. Third grade. Back, back in Nebraska. Well, no. Heavens, no. I'm not from Nebraska. <laughs> I'm oh. from Nevada. Oh, you're from Nevada. So I yeah. Wait, we, did you? Were you? Were you just? You you lived in Nebraska? Or? I lived. So I moved to Nebraska in 2008. Okay. I moved to Lincoln, and then I moved because I moved here in 2005. Okay. From Reno, Nevada. I'm from Reno, Nevada. Very cool. Um, and I moved. I lived in Nebraska twice. So I lived in Nebraska from 08 until 2012, and then I moved back in 2016, and then I moved back here in 2018. That's so awesome. I lived in Lincoln and Omaha. That's um, cool. yeah. But That's I'm cool. a little bit, I mean, I like Nebraska, yeah. and I like Omaha, and I like Lincoln, but I'm also, I'm from Nevada. Yeah, okay. <laughs> from from where in Nevada? Reno. Okay. Have you played in Reno? We've never played in Nevada. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Reno is fun. Yeah, I've always heard Re- Reno's the fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was going to yeah. say, Salem... So, I mean, you... So, Salem has kind of, like, small-town culture, kind of. Is that one of the things that, I mean... Yeah. Or, like, what... Because yeah, being it, from it, there, what, what, what do you... I mean, the Applebee's thing, like, what kind of rankles you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it just always, like... like and, and to this day, still has a lot of, like, really interesting slightly just under the surface music scene Mm -hmm. um i'm not sure what that is it just like uh there's a lot of good like school music programs in salem there just happens to be that i'm sure that contributes um but yeah it just seems like there's a lot of really interesting energy and um and and artistry there that just doesn't have a place to go so it ends up moving here to portland yeah um how big is salem Oh, I don't. I haven't looked at the population. Well, it's it's same size as Eugene, so oh, so like at least hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I mean, so it's big. So it's relatively big. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a yeah, it's like a medium sized right, small medium sized city. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, like Reno. I mean, Reno gets kind of like. Did you see Reno nine one one? Yeah. Oh, I hated it. I <laughs> yeah. hated it. That's like people in Portland yeah. hate Portland. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, so Reno nine one one's kind of. For the record, I like Portlandia, but Port, yeah, I, I just get I mean, tired of being asked by it anywhere else I go on yeah. tour. All well, the interview yeah, questions and are as always a like, touring Portlandia. musician, I'm sure you get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, for years, Reno 911 was all people knew of Reno, yeah. and I it irked me just yeah. because Reno, it, I mean, like a river runs through town. It's like high desert. Lake Tahoe is like a half hour away. Right. Like It's a cool, it's not like a total. And the, Reno 911 was filmed in L.A. I mean, It's a funny <laughs> show. But uh, if that's the only thing people it know. It was yeah. funny, yes. Yeah. It was funny, yeah. yeah. I didn't see the movie. Um, I didn't either. I, and I didn't watch that show religiously. I just remember catching a couple episodes. It was it good. Kind of like Super Troopers vibe. Exactly, right. yeah. And maybe even the same people made it. But when I lived in Lincoln mm-hmm. in Nebraska at that time, like I was yeah. just starting teaching, and all my students, all people knew of Reno was Reno 911. So it was just challenging. Yeah. Uh, once once you the, get a rep, it's hard to yeah. hard to. It was the cast from the state, right? Um, the MTV show, the '90s. That was that was the people who made Reno 911. I think so. I never, I saw maybe one episode of Reno 911, but I was like, oh, these are the guys from the state. The oh. state. <laughs> um, but Reno is cool. Play the Holland Project. Yeah, we've no, driven yeah. by Las Vegas, and it's just like it's Ooh, always yeah. it's always unsettling to yeah, be like desert, do, yeah. desert, desert. Oh. Where did that come from? There's just this city just plopped down in the middle of the desert, and then well, then big city river. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah Vegas yeah. is awful, but Reno. We've never. Cool. I've never even been into it. We've only driven by it on the freeway. Interesting. Like, wow. Seeing seeing yeah. it out in the distance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that 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 seems like an omission on our booking agent's part, but probably fine. <laughs> Um, now growing up, so when did you start playing? I'm sure you've gotten this question a lot. When did you start playing music? Um, I, I began piano lessons when I was like five or six. Mm. Um, and then I, I gave up the piano for a guitar, which is something I kind of regret now. I still play piano, but I, I stopped, you know, formally training. Um, and I, I started taking guitar lessons from a, a guy down in Salem who I think still does guitar lessons named Terry Schneider. So I'll go ahead and, and shout out. Some yeah, here. Plug. yeah. Yeah. So he, he taught me pretty much all I knew for the first five or six years of playing guitar. My dad also played guitar. So I learned a lot of my first first songs from him. Um, and yeah, I was in the school band. I played saxophone in middle school. Um, when I got to high school, I, I I dropped that, um, but I I kept playing guitar in like the jazz choir, and that's mm-hmm. how 
Toby, who's also in Typhoon, Toby and I and our original drummer, Casey O'Brien, we first started playing together and we started a band. You know, we were like 13, 14. Okay, so middle school from the beginning of high school. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of when we, yeah, we played like the school talent show and we started playing coffee shops like early high school. So that that's in kind of an early Yeah, that was the mops. That's, yeah, and, and, mops yeah, and everyone in the mops went on to be in Typhoon in the first in, in the first iteration and then um yeah and casey casey left the band and and we, we had to get some new drummers so so how long do you say typhoon's been going for uh our first show was in 2005 december okay. 2005 all right and that's when yeah. we that was our record release for our first record so mm-hmm. we've been yeah we've been a band out in the world since 2005 which is a long time for a band um which also means it was about this time, 15 years ago, that I was like writing this the first Typhoon songs. Wow. Yeah. 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 Which nobody will hear because we don't have them on Spotify, and we, they might you might be able to get them on YouTube, but we we kind of buried that first record. I, oh, right. I, I heard it. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm still. A I mean, friend I, sent it to me. I was so, like, you have to hear the, the stuff that isn't on their yeah, band camp. Interesting. And, yeah, yeah. It's. So. I think I, it's still an interesting. <laughs> It's an interesting project, and I, I it's, it's dear to me. It's just um, we didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what I was doing. It's just very, uh, it, you know, if you like, if I listen, if you listen to some, if you okay, I'll put it this way: if you like read something you wrote when you were eighteen, now since you're writers, mm-hmm. like it would just make you cringe a little bit, right? Yeah, probably yeah, unless it does. You know, yeah. unless you're mm-hmm. some kind of savant. <laughs> Rimbo, <laughs> not, not, neither Joshua nor yeah. Rimbo. Yeah. Well, interesting. I I, I put Shelley on my list of authors because I read Frankenstein. Found out she wrote that when she was 19 and decided. So she actually really was like a catalyst for me to want to make like make a piece like a, a work of art by the time I was 19 that I thought was you know something good. Wow, you were um, looking to marry Shelley. As, yeah, and it like, doesn't it, it's, it doesn't even come close uh, to Frankenstein. <laughs> but she was sort of my like okay by 19 I like I need to like keep up with Mary Shelley. Uh, that is that's so cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. wait. So that first album came out too, or you were writing the song? Did you hit that milestone? Uh, yeah. So that came out. I was nineteen. Um, yeah. And so when did you? Well, so were, so was music like an escape for you? Were you like a shy bookish kid, and it made you outgoing? Was it something? Um, I mean, yeah. I kind of. Um. I. I. I mean, for one, I'm not sure how much I buy into like inherent introversion or extroversion. Because I've sort of swung both ways throughout mm-hmm. my life, so um, high school was a pretty gregarious time for me, and I had a lot of friends down in Salem. We were making like kind of garage rock with our band, The Mops, and another band. Toby and I played in called uh, Eddie Machete and the Hacks. That was more of like a, a, a punk rock band. Um, and I, I always I always liked reading, so that was still happening on the side. Um, but when I went, I, I enrolled at Portland State University. And I was basically the first of our friend group to move to Portland. So I moved up here, and I had a very, very introspective year where I, I made a few friends, but I was very, like, I was I was reading a lot. I was spending a lot of time in this little, like, student housing dorm spot that I had to myself. Um, pretty isolated, and that's that's where the Typhoon songs really started. And it was it was that year that I read Frankenstein and... Mm-hmm. You're like got, by next year, got all excited. Yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, this year I'm gonna, I'm gonna write something wow. great, and then you know, yeah. I wrote something. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, you were probably really, I mean, that I is, it, yeah, yeah, and the, it's and it's a cool. I mean, yeah, I look back on it and I have a, a little more um, sympathy for it as I get older because I can now be like, oh, well, I was just a kid, you know, I was 19 and I wasn't Mary Shelley, so um, it, it's, it's got. 
you know, has a concept and has a kind of a worldview. And I wanted to make, I was, I was inspired by these books that I was reading. I was also inspired by some films that I saw that year. Maybe kind of a typical like eighteen year old year where I read Mary Shelley and watched Fellini was in you know <laughs> wow I mean, and had my mind blown. Um, I was like, okay, well, I don't know how to write a novel and I don't know how to make a film. Those seem pretty far off, but I can you know I can make some music. So I'm gonna like kind of take a different approach than writing garage rock songs um, and kind of take a novelistic slash filmic approach to this. So I had this idea of like of a movie I wanted to make. And instead of it being a movie, I transposed it into musical terms. And the idea, it's this character who's on the verge of suicide. And then it comes over the news that the world is ending. And he's like, well, I guess that solves that. I, I'll keep living at least for the next 24 hours. And then it follows his life through that last, you know, this kind of last day on earth. Interesting. Are, are you yeah. often working with characters in your songs? I know the last album was character-based as yeah. well. Yeah. And- I, I am in a way, this is, this is going to be interesting because hopefully we can get into Beckett a little bit. He's my um, favorite author. Yeah, he's, he's one of my very favorites because I, I don't think, again, just like with the Mary Shelley uh, an, uh, analogy, I'm going to just say like I, I've come nowhere close to a Samuel Beckett, but I always really um, liked his his bit where he said that compared to James Joyce, who is like his tutor and friend, who has sort of had an all-encompassing encyclopedia, encyclopedic way of writing. Mm-hmm. He knew he couldn't compete or compare, and so his would be a literature of impoverishment. That was his, his mm-hmm. quote. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I write with characters, but I, I, I like thinking of my characters as being, like, stripped of content in a way or stripped mm-hmm. of, like, of almost stripped of literature, stripped of narrative, of, of plot, and just sort of um, just seeing what that looks like, especially especially in the last record and offerings, because it's someone whose whose memory is is you know is abandoning them. Eyes on the screen, we have all the information now, but what does it mean? Reasons a tease. Drank up all that hemlock. Here I am, just reading the leaves. And left wondering what happened to the life we lost that got lost in the living. And all this fiction makes me nervous. Turns out it was Buzzfeed on the canvas with my shark painting The film in your brain It edits to a man But keeps the figure in the frame It's a sacrificial violence All those passed over Silence and cast out with the blame. And I'm trying to stay sane. Meanwhile, the river of forgetfulness it starts spilling the pains. Like the really simple question I set out, trying to trying to at least explore with offerings was. You know, if memories are conditional, and they and they 
and you you might outlive them, right? You might your memories yeah. might die before you do. Are you still human? Are you still a person? And I I I assume I, you know I thought I thought a foregone conclusion was yes, you're still a person. Yeah. But why? But why? What makes you still a person? Mm. You know, what makes you still a human? Is there something? Is there some like kernel of you know, humanity? You know, once you're stripped of all of your sort of like content and your experience yeah. and your 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 um like mile, milestones, or at least what's identity? You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, right. Right. Form what? an identity if you don't have a past. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you? Yeah. And it and it became really interesting because I started working on that and then. Um, you know, it took a sort of turn for the political, which was new for me because Donald Trump was elected and um, he was invoking, like, history from the 30s in America, like America First, which is Charles Lindbergh's racist, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, we need to preserve the white race slogan, and now that's being used. And nobody seemed to, you know, some people were, were mentioning that and saying that, but it was amazing how, you know, like... like um, in a wholesale way, we'd forgotten so much history, and we were in this sort yeah. of memoryless place, culturally speaking, and how dangerous that can be. And so the record kind of became like a, another, almost like the very first Typhoon record, where it's you know got a suicidal man, and then a suicidal world kind of parallel. This was a parallel world where persons, you know, losing all their memory, and the world is losing all of its history, kind of like you know uh, converging on this on this crisis and that's that's well you have to listen to the record to kind of figure out where that goes but yeah interesting yeah yeah it was it was it was yeah it was uh an endeavor but yeah. it's stripped to a degree too like what what beckett works did you like a lot or do you the three novels are, are okay are, so are, are, are my favorite and i i should say i haven't i mean he's he has a lot of work and i've only re- read the three novels uh waiting for godot and I've started Murphy, but I'm still pretty early on. Yeah, but uh, the, but but yeah, M- uh, Malloy Malone is, dies. Malone dies are, are yeah, and, and the unnameable. The unnameable's um, hard. It's a hard read. Yeah, and it's it's, it's completely <laughs> stripped. I mean, it's just it's rare. Yeah, it's it's almost completely formal. But um, yeah, I mean, the first song, like to to like do my to to um tip my hat to. Beckett, the first song on Offerings, Wake, is almost, to me, like a total plagiarism of the first couple pages of, of Malloy, okay. where he's in the room and he doesn't know why, right. and someone's bringing him papers to write on, and a woman comes and brings him food and leaves, and, right, right, and it's yeah. completely claustrophobic, and he, he doesn't know what's going on. Did you So did you read that a couple years ago when you were writing Offerings, or did you write it a long time ago? I read that uh, years ago. Um, so, so I was going to Portland State... Um, I was originally studying to become an elementary school teacher, and I, I abandoned that pretty quickly. Um, mostly, I, I started doing some volunteer work in schools, which I which I liked, but I just realized I didn't quite have what it takes to be a teacher. It takes a, a lot, so um, kudos to you. Uh, do you teach as well? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. kudos to both of you. Well... We're not necessarily good teachers, but or at least I can't speak for myself. But the, well, the attempt that should yeah, be committed. We're not working with, you know, I don't find myself particularly suited to working with actual kids. I'm yeah. better at working with and that's, uh, yeah. adults. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I wonder about that. Um, maybe I should have like, aimed a little uh, uh, for a higher age bracket. 
I really, I, I really liked working with kids like one on one or in small groups. When you get like a critical mass of children, yeah, yeah. it's like challenging. It, it takes a, so much strength and like um, unflappable, like good nature. Yeah, to deal with aggressive um, happiness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't have that. I just right. don't. I, I, you know, I, I just don't. Um, and I, I, at one point, just sort of acknowledge that. But your mom was a teacher. There was a lineage. She's your a mom, great teacher. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I thought that that seemed, you know, see, I've always held that that, that that's a noble calling and that's a, like mm-hmm. a good in in and of itself. Um, unlike so many jobs. Yeah. Um, but I'd taken these literature classes, you know, studying for my liberal studies degree that was going to go towards teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up kind of just continuing my studies with with literature. Um, and I had a professor named John Smythe. I don't know if you if either you're familiar with. He, he has a couple books, theory books. He taught at PSU because I went to PSU too. He, he did. Um, He's English department. Um, John Smythe. No, I don't actually don't know him. He taught European literature and philosophy. Okay. Yeah. And he was kind of my 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 um, Virgil and oh, through, right. through my my <laughs> you know higher education. But yeah, he he's the one that you know I had credit for for um, turning me on to Beckett and and um, Italo Svevo, who I mentioned in my list. Which is heady stuff, though, for an undergrad. This is you're an undergrad at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know how I did this, but I ended up just like. Go, I, I skipped a lot of the prerequisites and just signed up for his like 300, 400 level classes. Oh. Um, I'm sort of a lifelong dilettante. Like I didn't, I'm not a serious scholar. I like reading and I, I, um, I like interpreting uh, and, and using ideas I, I find in literature, um, you know, in my own work and in my own understanding of the world. But I, I, I've never been like rigorous with it. And my education kind of reflects that, so I kind of I just sort of jumped into those classes because I'd taken one of his sort of un, his his um, I think a, a two hundred level class. Really liked Professor Smythe's um, you know his courses, so I just kind of took all of them. Mm-hmm. And did were, did your songwriting change as a result? Because I mean that it just is kind yeah. of it's yeah. There was a ma- there was actually a major break in my in my songwriting. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. I'm playing footsie with you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there was a major break, and it was it was uh, in in one of Smythe's courses we read uh, Rene Girard, who's a French theorist. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. I know the name, but you can tell he's, me. Yeah, he's pretty unfashionable in in literary theory these days. I think, although I've seen some in some instances where he seems to be coming back. Um, I think mostly because he he converted to Catholicism, and that can be kind of academic suicide. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, <laughs> but he has he has his first book, which um, I hate the American uh, name for it. They they changed the name to appeal to American audiences, right. and it's called uh, Deceit, Desire in the Novel. Which is just Desire so, in the Novel. Okay, just so it's... saucy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in French, it's the it's the romantic lie and the novelistic truth, the uh, mensonge uh, romantique and la vérité romanesque. Okay. Yeah. And which I think is a better name. It um, is a better name, yeah, for sure. And I, and I read that book, and it's it's um. It's a very sort of unique analysis of what he considers to be the great novels in a comparative way that ties them together. And the, and the basic idea he puts forth is that in the great novels, they expose this idea of mimetic desire, mimetic desire. Okay. which is this idea that the self, far from being like a self-contained, you know, like self-propelling 
um, self-generating entity is actually imitative um, by nature, that, that, that inherently we look to models to imitate not just our behavior, but our desires, the things that we want. Okay, yeah. Um, and it, so, so it, this book's kind of written in a very existential mode where he looks at characters from Cervantes, from Dostoevsky, from Proust and Stendhal, and says, like, all, what these all have in common is their different variations on this idea of mimetic desire. It's, it's, it's um, the conflict that arises out of imitating a model's desires. Yeah. Hmm. And for example, so you'd say, like, there's a difference between <clears throat> internal and external me- mediation. This is, this is going to get a little, maybe just a little dense, and then we can maybe... This, no, this, is, this is why we started this show. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but you'd say, like, for in the case of Cervantes, uh, Don Quixote, he, his model is um, Amadis de Gaulle, who's the, you know, the knight huh. in all the literature he reads, and he imitates him faithfully, and that this causes no real, like, you know, Don, Don Quixote is a ridiculous character, but he's happy. Mm-hmm. And, he's, right. and he has no, you know, no real um, inner conflict because he knows what his purpose is and it's following Amadis de Gaulle. Uh, Gerard goes on to say that in these other novels, you see this kind of progress where, say, in the case of Dostoevsky, which is kind of the end, like the, 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 the mimetic crisis. You have characters that are imitating each other so much in their desires that it just leads to a to- total conflict. The character say that characters are imitating themselves so much that it leads to total conflict. Yeah. So, like, say in the case of you guys read the notes from underground. Uh, no. <laughs> so, um, but I know of it. I've read yeah. Crime and Punishment, The Gambler. Okay. Yeah, we can do Crime and Punishment. And um, then... Yeah. It, it's it's the. Uh, so Razzle Kanov, yeah, Raskolnikov, Razzle yeah. Um, I mean, you this you don't have to. I I got it yeah, before. It's, yeah, this might be this might get a little might get a little. I would just say maybe read the book and it, that it's that it, for me it, it it changed the way I I thought about my myself and even the concept of having a self because I always sort of had this feeling that. Um, you know, I think I think in sort of modern psych- psychological parlance, it would be imposter syndrome. Which it's like, oh, everyone, everyone seems concrete. I look, mm-hmm. I look at you, Josh, and you seem yeah. like a concrete person. You exist mm-hmm. objectively. You, uh, you you exist objectively Jeff. as well, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and you, but you but, but as being a self, as being a subject, that kind of there, there's no like objective kernel to that, mm-hmm. right? Like you experience yourself subjectively. Yeah. There's no inherent content there's no like resting Mm. place there and so so this this feeling of like well being a person in the world this seems to be an inherent tension because i'm expected to be you know like a a self-generating person in the world solidified yeah an objective entity in the world and and i'm not and thinking about it and thinking about you know, selfhood this way kind of ruined my life for a year. <laughs> this um, is when you're like a junior or a senior. I, I mean, was, this was this was I was 19. Yeah, so I would have been a sophomore. Um, so okay. Yeah. So you're. Yeah. So you're like in this. You're seeing yourself as I, an amalgamation of influences rather than yeah, a single yeah, self. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. That I that I saw myself as. Um, 
Yeah, as being just a, a kind of intersection of, of, of influences. And what's more, as I saw, I, I, I sort of had this, uh, this, this realization that other people, like, I'm, I'm probably not that unique. This might be right, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, the existential crisis. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I spent a year of just sort of feeling like, well, what's the point? And this is. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> How did you come out of it? Um, God, I don't know. Yeah. Did you have a realization? Did I, did did I come out of it? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to um, <laughs> I, I, I started writing songs from, a, from a, a perspective of wanting to understand, wanting to understand, like, being a person and what it means to be a self and being honest with, um, trying to be honest on the, f- you know, on, on, on the imposter nature of of sure you know being a person yeah um and that that became kind of an abysmal project in the sense <laughs> of being like you know just kind of like you can't find the center you just keep going down just the, turtles all the way down um <laughs> the lyrics were an abysmal project or the yeah um, yeah um, i guess i mean abysmal more in the case of it's just like diving into a black hole because you're just like yeah you know as, I, as i'm saying like is there is there like you know, is there a bottom to this well? Is it just, right. it just keep going? Something you'll never find an answer to. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely changed the way I wrote, wrote songs. And it also made me much more um, circumspect about writing songs at all. Like I, from, from then on, I sort of wanted to, th- to know that I was trying to say something or trying to, trying to understand something before I wrote any lyrics. Whereas before, I think I could write lyrics where it's like, oh, this is nice. And, I, you know, it has a nice... These words sound good together. Yeah, they yeah. sound good together, mm-hmm. and and it tells a nice story. Yeah, I was interested right. in that kind of thing. Um, well, do you feel like does Typhoon at, is as a band have a kind of an idea behind it? I mean, I know the where the name comes from, but yeah, it almost yeah. almost seems yeah. like your work it's all working within kind of a framework. Or yeah, yeah, I I would say I. I you know, I've only read Swan's Way, so this is, I'm total, okay. total yeah. imposter here. But I, there's a sort of Proustian project, starting with our, our record, Hunger and Thirst, which is really the first record that anybody knows about yeah. our band. Which, which was so 2010? Is that when that came out? Yeah. Okay, exactly. that's, so, yeah. that's the breakout. Yeah, record. yeah, that's yeah, when, that's that's when you know, thought, we yeah. started yeah, playing, playing and touring nationally and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when that came out, um, that that's the first record that I, I was trying to do something which was... Mm, un- Using music as a way to to, to understand my life and in, in, in reverse, mm-hmm. or understand, try to understand something. I mean, honestly, like I said, I'm a, I'm a dilettante and I'm not, I'm 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 not even really that smart. So it was just like my one way of trying to understand the world was was through music, yeah. and making these kind of mnemonic devices out of out of music that would help me remember like basic basic things I thought I had, you know, b- basic bits of knowledge I thought I had arrived at. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Yeah, yeah, which is not, which, which is like, you know, I talked to my other musician friends who are actually like good musicians that just like making music for music's right. sake. And they're kind of like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're overthinking this one. Yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's kind of my MO. Everything 
so is it i mean this last album was very obviously a, a project related to memory but it almost sounds yeah. like the whole thing is like yeah you know yeah like, i think it's a continuation like in a christian kind of way yeah, yeah yeah i mean this might just be my own like narcissism but um it's hard for me to like write characters that i have no like oh that's just a character external from me that's always gonna like kind of like tie back to like how how i think i i perceive the world um right. and yeah uh writing this one really was me trying to prepare myself for if I outlive my memory, you know, yeah. like it's a 50, 50, I think really <laughs> like it's my, does, you know, do I lose memory first or do I, do I die first? And what's, what's more merciful? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I wonder, wonder if the latter does, does Alzheimer's or dementia run in your family at all. Um, is it something that you yeah, worry about? Actively? So, so three of my grandparents died before we would have, before that would have become apparent okay. um my grandmother yeah she she and uh, i actually the record was re- kind of inspired by spending time with her as mm-hmm. she's sort of yeah um i don't know if you guys have relatives with with dementia or, or memory loss she doesn't have right. alzheimer's but she does have dementia and it does it's this sort of thing where after a while the conversation would reset right like we yeah. talk for a while we, we she'd ask me how i've been and how is the tour going and i talked to her about her cats and, and like you know how does she like a new place and then it reset, and then, you know, over over months and years, that that loop would get shorter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until it's just mm-hmm. like, well, who is this? That's oh, Kyle. And then we figure that out, and like, oh, well, who is this? Mm. And then you know, it's that was that was a um, I mean, it's terrifying to me. And luckily, my my grandma, she she seems to have retained like a lot of her just like her grit and like her sense of humor mm-hmm. in it. So she doesn't Which... seem she doesn't seem like. Yeah, and apparently she has some boyfriends at the at the uh, yeah, assisted living yeah. facilities. So go grandma. Good for good for grandma. Mm-hmm. But um, but to me that's terrifying. The idea that like you just like the room you're in just kind of keeps shrinking, and that was one of the central like images I had as I was making that record. Is this idea of like the walls of your world and and your past and ideas of future just sort of like caving into this infinite and claustrophobic present. Yeah. Yeah. You guys ever read Flan O'Brien? Yeah, you should. The third policeman. Yeah, 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 he's he's brilliant. And this Mm. isn't in the book. It's in like the, in one of the editions. There's there's like an afterword. Um, and he was explaining the idea of the book to his publisher, and he has some line about hell being like a circle that just goes round and round interminably. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I remember reading that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that that was ringing in my head. In Mm. fact, I kind of wish we'd put that as like an epigraph somewhere in the liner notes. I was actually thinking about the third policeman when you were talking about the first chapter of Malloy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, similar. Yeah, right. yeah, this kind of like almost like Old Testament where there's like no details. It's just yeah. sort of this like floating character. Right. Yeah. Um, with a, so a, ungrounded. Ex- yeah, yeah. Yeah. So lost. Being yeah. asked to sacrifice his, his firstborn son. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now, when I mean, I guess like in 20 or whenever you were working on the first songs, like back at Portland state, I mean, did you ever not write songs and write a poem or write a short story? I mean, you know, we, you talked, I think before and like, yeah, possibly wanting to work on a novel. I mean, is that something? I think I said, I didn't, I didn't know how to write a novel. I would love to, I I mean, I I really like the idea of someday writing a novel. And as I sometimes lately, when I get sort of, frustrated with trying to make things rhyme or sound good as lyrics as melodies it's like mm-hmm. well, wouldn't this be better if i could just write it as prose or or 
or a poem. I don't. I, th I, th you know, if I have any skill, I think it's 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 specifically suited to to the musical. Mm -hmm. um, I've been I've been writing my whole life, just kind of writing thoughts in a, in, a, in in journals and notebooks. Um, but usually, the way those all kind of um, coalesce, coalesce is, is is music. Right. I've written a couple attempts at short stories, but yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's I re really just admire people that can do that. It's not not something that comes easily. Well, I don't think it comes easy to anyone. <laughs> well, and I think well, writing songs, yeah. I mean, every, you know, you yeah. say imposter syndrome, like writing songs to me seems like a completely different yeah. animal. Yeah, other, that other I, side you of the know, glass. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, in a way, I, I think our mutual friend, Zach Schomburg, which is, I think, how we ended up doing this today. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I, that's, I really, you know, I really value our relationship because I'm such a huge admirer of his work. Both his poetry and then his his novel Mammother. Right. Um, and so when did you meet Zach? Do you remember? I met Zach. Um, yeah, it was when we were working on Hunger and Thirst. Uh, we were living with a guy. Um, you know Marshall. Did yeah. The poor Claudia Marshall. Yeah. Drew Swanhagen. Marshall. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Marshall was living in our house. Um, oh, you, so you were living in the same house as him. You guys were roommates. Or he, he, yeah. He was yeah. He was. He was kind of. So Tyler. Yeah. yeah. Tyler, Phil, and I. Yeah. He, he was paying rent, but he had. It, it was a. It was a. Um, itinerant situation. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been there. Yeah. And he was. Yeah. And he. I think he was actually pretty frustrated living there because we were recording the record kind of constantly, and he didn't really know that getting into the situation. But but anyway, Marshall's great, and uh, we you know we we kind of wrapped a lot on literature. And at one point, he came to us seeing if we wanted to play this show for. Um, they were. I think it was a poor Claudia release. No, no. Sorry. I'm sorry. Mem memory foggy. Um. Zach was coming out with like a short film based oh. on one of his poems, and he which was, was a DVD that poor Claudia released. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that was okay. it. So he was, and he were releasing it, releasing it at the Holocene, uh -huh. and we played. And having never met Zach before, like basically just shook hands and then walked on stage. And Typhoon played an, an ambient like instrumental set while he read his poems, mm -hmm. and it was. I mean, I'd love to hear the recordings, though I'd almost be afraid to because it might ruin the memory. But it was it was amazing. Like we just had so much fun. And it just came so naturally, and I I'd only read a couple of his poems going into that, but just hearing him like speak them over the music. Yeah, because you were playing, he was reading. That's yeah. how, okay. That was yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Did, did you feel like there was an interaction? Yeah, yeah. There? I you felt know. like there was a really um, kind of dynamic interaction that felt like we were playing music together. But yeah. he but he was you know just he was just articulating his poems. Right, because sometimes that can feel yeah. like I I actually like it both ways. I always like yeah. poetry and and music put together, Definitely. and but sometimes it feels like okay, the musicians are doing their thing, yeah. poets doing their thing, and yeah. and keep them, and it just you there's know, no bridge. It, yeah, there's it's like it doesn't feel like yeah. an interaction. It's still cool. It's still interesting, but it doesn't yeah. feel like like you're saying like we're, a band, we're like, he, like that the poet yeah. is part of the band. Yeah, because it it would it would be something where he you could tell that Zach was reading it in a certain way, or you know, getting louder or more urgent with the way the music was going, yeah. and and vice versa. And mm -hmm. so it was created this really cool feedback system. All this is to say that. Um, like this is the conversation we would always have. He's like, "Well, I wish I could write. You know, I really just want to be a singer in a band, but I can't do that. So this oh, is really? as close That's as I get." Yeah. I'm like, "Well, it's great because I always wanted to be a poet and writer and can't. So this is as close as I get." So, um, you know, collaboration like that's been 
been been really cool and and made me feel more a part of like a literary world. Yeah, and, yeah, totally. And, and you yeah. did that one collaborative. We did that, album and together. we yeah, we did yeah. a collaborative album. We've done a bunch of those kind of like um, amb- ambient. I've done a bunch of ambient sound collages for while he's doing live readings. We just did one for for Pulver Mar. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, when you did one at Mississippi Studios, I remember yeah. the benefit back in the day. Yeah, definitely three years yeah. ago or something. That was fun. And so, what do you like in his work so much? I mean, what grabs you about it? It's funny. I was, I was, I knew this was going to come up, and I was <laughs> so thinking about it. Got a PowerPoint together. Over and... <laughs> here. Um, but it's hard to pin down with Zach. I mean, for one, he's just such. He's just. I just think Zach's a lovely person. And a very, so now, I, yes. He's a unique person. Very nice man. And a, and a Jeff asked man. the hard questions here. No, <laughs> no I hung out yeah. with him yesterday. <laughs> okay. So yeah, he. I mean, I hung out with Zach yesterday, <laughs> not Kyle. But I mean, he's a total piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he's a real tool. Nobody likes him. Um, no, Zach's one of my closest friends. I'm yeah. curious though. I mean, yeah, yeah he's yeah. he. Um, something about so I was reading Scary No Scary. He gave me he gave me a copy of that after we first met, and I was I was reading that, and like so, so many of the poems just reminded me of some of my f- like just the way some of my favorite song lyrics hit. And very much unlike other poetry I had read, and, and, and granted at that point hadn't really read much poetry at all, but um, I mean, starting with his first poem, the the scary no scary, where you come back to your childhood home and it's now like a haunted house and mm-hmm. it's got a westward lean. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a man on the front porch. Just had this kind of nightmarish, almost Kafka-esque, but sort of with more, more whimsical or a little more um, well, poetry. So it's, but there's a humor, yeah, a little yeah. bit more funny. Sometimes Kafka's, Kafka can just be more desolation to it. Yeah, 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 I mean. yeah com- completely. Um, that, yeah, yeah. So I, it's hard for me to articulate because it, it's poetry is surreal. I mean, especially those those books. You know, that's sur- surreal poetry. Hard to talk about exactly. Well, but. I mean, it's imagistic. Like, I mean, I thought listening some of Typhoon's lyrics. I mean, I guess your lyrics. Yeah. Are, they're allegorical in a sense, and I think some of Zach's stuff is kind of in that same realm. And yeah, it's, it's certainly it can be character driven yeah. and like, but it's not. Yeah, and I wonder. Yeah, yeah, almost not allegorical, but um, yeah. How to how to put it? There's something like there. There's one where he's on a on a iceberg with his dad and it splits in two and they're drifting apart i mean it just can be read so many ways but it seems to i almost think of like david lynch it's like i don't think there's just like this is like a direct metaphor for something exactly but it seems to just be loaded with all this meaning that you can't quite get at speaking like in logical propositions like it has to be kind of gotten at in this poetic surreal dreamlike way Mm -hmm. it's it's aiming to maybe captures some yeah something it captures just, yeah. something in it in it and it's in it sort of like sidesteps the problem of having to do it with like rational propositional right, language yeah. which you can't really you know get at something like that like you can feel yeah. the thing that it's getting yeah. toward you can relate yeah. to it it triggers something within you but you can't really explain what that thing is which when i think about that's that's music for me i mean yeah. that's like music kind of picks up where where rational thought leaves off i think right. like when you get kind of the like to the limit at which point you can't can't think through it any further. Well, yeah, you it's want music. it to be primal, yeah. you know? And I think yeah. some of Zach's poems, when they're distilled down, they're primal kind of, yeah. yeah. yeah seemingly so primal. simple. But yeah, seemingly, yeah. but also deceptive. Deceptive, yeah. In, yeah. in ways, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Some of them are very funny, too. Especially oh, right. in, in Pulver Mar. Have you guys yeah. read it? The, uh, the last, like, chapter. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. the, 
he was doing the reading and it was just cr- like bringing the house down. Oh, he's a great reader. He's, yeah. I mean, I love I love the yeah. book too, but I mean, it's yeah. just like uh, you know, off the page. There, yeah. There's, yeah. there's, um, yeah. Him reading his own poems. Yeah, very, very fitting. I've I've done a couple readings with him, with him reading from Here Oars, that which is yeah. like that Tupelo Press book that's also right. in Pulvermar, right. and yeah. uh, and when he gets going on that series, it's just it's something else, you yeah. know. I mean, it's really transcendent. It's yeah, a, yeah. So buy his book, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> Sag Schomburg. Um, we could spend w- this whole time just doing Schomburg. Wait, what? We could spend this whole this whole session just doing because I so Mammoth or I haven't read what I haven't read it. It's I, excellent. You should read it. I, I, have, I haven't read it either. I went to the I went to one of the like to the reading. Oh yeah, yeah. So thing. I played one yeah. of those. Yeah. Did you? Okay. Yeah. 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 In fact, my brother and I played together for one of them, which is which is a rare cool thing. Um, Does he live in town? He lives in Salem now. Okay. He, we lived together for a while, but he's he's back down in Salem. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, uh, Mammother, you should read it. It's it's excellent. It's, it's so much of his poetry, but it it actually it's strangely like a page turner. Like mm-hmm. it, it has a, it has a very surreal, uh, unworldly plot. And yet, still, like the the plot's extremely engaging, and just mm-hmm. I finished. I read it in a day. Oh my gosh, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah, it's not very it's not very long. Okay, well, it's like yeah. two hundred pages at least. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, so but you were entranced like, by it. Yeah, you were, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and now, are you always reading something and then kind of working on writing something to go along with it? Do you take great yeah. like months off reading and just kind of chill out? Or my songwriting process is. Um, is a is a mess. So I I don't know. Like, it just to me what it seems like, and I almost can't I can't analyze it too much. Yeah, no. Um, is that I I have to collect a lot of just raw data. A lot of that's reading. A lot of that's just being alive and you know flotsam jetsam of day to day experience. And at some point something happens where that becomes a, like starts becoming like seeds of songs and they start sort of coming out. Usually when I can't sleep at night, I'm, I'm lifelong insomniac um as am i oh right. yeah. yeah i'm sorry we're gonna <laughs> yeah. die, die much younger than <laughs> yes we are and great podcast so but i but i am i'm yeah if i'm not reading something's wrong um but i will say in the last several years i've been reading so much more non-fiction um i'm trying to i'm trying to keep pace with with yeah i i think it's so important to read fiction i think um <sighs> I mean, my plug for fiction, just for everybody, just as like, as a kind of civic duty, is that it gives you cultural meanings and cultural language and fluency that you don't get from nonfiction. Like the mm-hmm. ideas that come together in, in great novels of 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 um, you know of the generations, I think, do something intangible to like for people's understanding of their own culture that like. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the thing where I can't, you can't have logical propositions explaining yeah. a certain phenomena that you could with a poem. Um, but I've been reading so much nonfiction, uh, in particular history, um, kind of back to this idea of where we're, we're living in this age where history just seems like this a soup that you that you right. know, that some politicians just pull certain things out of to 
for, for, and then for, everyone collectively forgets the actuality of uh-huh. what happened yeah which is yeah which is hard to get at i mean granted and 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 the thing is you can't get it at history and the actuality of history through tweets like <laughs> that's one I'm, i'll just say that now you can't you can't really? you can't get it like a nuanced understanding of anything through a tweet like let's just face it so the idea that that's making that that social media is making us more connected like maybe but like in a good way or is in itself is it good and, and i would say like that's one form of communication but there it doesn't it like doesn't even scratch the surface right what about tweet thread yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i mean but people just get pissed off when you do a tweet like too long of a tweet thread this makes the internet mad um yeah so yeah and so you know figuring out what actually happened is it's hard but i think it's important um for you as a person, for us as a society, I think for, I think both for everybody, yeah, right. yeah, for, yeah, both, 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 and so. Um, Does it give you anxiety though? Sometimes, oh yeah, I mean, cause but one, it's also really comforting. Some, I mean, as can I swear on this? Yeah, you can bleep it out. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. As, as fucked up as it sounds, it gives me um, comfort to know that certain patterns that we're that we're experiencing now are not brand new. Right. You know, like. Um, Try to th- try to think of an example. I mean, the America First thing is is an is an well, example. Yeah. It's sort of like politics through like mantra: build a wall, lock her up. This right. kind of thing that you know takes a lot of people by surprise is a pretty clearly documented fascist phenomenon. Right. And this is Mussolini and, and Hitler and all sorts of other mm-hmm. sort of autocratic leaders that do this kind of incantation. Right, um, which happened about a hundred ninety hundred years ago, and I mean things yeah, can go in yeah, those so cycles. Just, you know? just studying the twentieth century is really, you know, can be really elucidating. Um, is that what you? you yeah, mentioned and that, Tony that's, that's really. Um, oh yeah, th- yeah. yeah. That... I I recently I've just I'm just digging into post war, which is his great his great work, um, which is which is basically end of World War Two to um, fall of the Berlin Wall uh, and the collapse of the Soviet Empire. Um, but that is. That is expansive. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because because this whole thing is he's writing it after the fall of the of the wall, where history written up to that point had a certain had a certain blind spot because mm. because of the Iron Curtain, yeah, and because of the way people's his. I mean, not even in Western Europe and America, the way that history was told was told nationally as a way to like cover up certain inconvenient and maybe unbearable truths. Like for example, that most French people fought on the side of. Vichy, right? Not on the resistance. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's and you know then, that, that's an uncomfortable thing yeah. for French people to sit with, and they couldn't, you know, for ten or twenty years after the war. It wasn't until a couple like the next generation had to be able to. But you blanket that. the whole society. I mean, it's interesting, yeah, right? or and it's scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so and so thinking of the ways that that a society has to insulate itself from mm-hmm. certain truths that would break it apart. Like, because France wouldn't exist as it does today if, if de Gaulle hadn't said, like, we're all part of the resistance, you know, like, long live the republic. Right. Never mind that it was a fascist state for <laughs> right. the last several years. Um, never mind that these many people, this, this many Frenchmen fought in Vichy uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's interesting. And I think that's, I think that's really illuminating for, for, you know, we can think of now. Like, what are sort of the myths that we tell, each, tell ourselves? Right. And... You know, and by the way, which myths are constructive and which ones are, are destructive? Right. Yeah. Because back to literature, I mean, like, it's up for grabs whether or not a, a culture can exist without myths. Right? And then mm-hmm. I'd yeah. say no. 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I would say, that, I, would say so, I would say signs point to no. It could be a myth that, like, yeah, no. <laughs> i.e., there has to be a story, and it can well, yeah, there has to be some reflect yeah. some things, right. but yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, when you gave us a list of authors, and I saw Tony yeah. Judd on there. I was like, oh, it's probably the Memory Chalet, his one kind of personal book, because you're so interested in memory. <sighs> so I was, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just now getting into him. So I got, I, I'm got into him through uh, historian Timothy Snyder. Um, the politics of eternity is that what that did? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So politics I, of eternity, politics of inevitability. Yeah, he's. Um, I started reading him in like 2014. I read Bloodlands. He has a really, really um, incredible book about um, mass killing and 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 during mm-hmm. the uh, Soviet Nazi re- regimes. That that. It's a very big book, and, and it's a lot of, like, very um, well-researched history, but the basic, like, takeaway from it is that we have all sorts of ways of explaining how, like, the Holocaust happened or how, how, how all these atrocities happened, but what he, what he kind of, like, goes through and with research and data shows is that, well, for one, the Holocaust happened east from where everyone thinks it happened, which is Auschwitz and in the gas chambers, relatively fewer Jews were killed. Mm-hmm. I don't know, we're getting into the Holocaust now. Well, forgive forgive me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this has to do with, with memory and the way, like, you know, for example, how Americans like to think of themselves in regards to the Holocaust, which is the saviors, which you know, Americans re- liberated relatively few right. camps. Mm-hmm. And by that time, most, most of the Jews that were killed were, were dead right. in, in pits. <laughs> Um, like the Holocaust had already basically happened mm-hmm. eastward. Um, and so Tim Snyder kind of sets out to examine this thing. Why in these particular places did so many Jews die? And, you know, in the West, a lot of the explanation is something like, oh, they're way more anti-Semitic. Well, that's not true. Like America was, you know, could be demonstrably more anti-Semitic than, say, Lithuania right. in this period. And yet you know no jews survived yeah and and same with denmark um most of the jews survived in denmark almost none survived in lithuania and he looks at it and it and it becomes interesting that in all the places where the state apparatus was completely destroyed mm-hmm. or in some cases doubly destroyed by soviets and then by nazis that's where that's where the mass killings happen that's where most of the killings happened hmm. which is to say i well to say a lot of things and, I, and maybe i'm not qualified to say any of it but that's that's completely different than the idea that all the killing happened because of a, a overbearing german like highly advanced technological state you know it's kind of a dystopian idea that so many people have that it's like all numbers and right mechanical killing that really was just this kind of improvisation that happened in a lawless zone right mm. yeah well, and after the fact, sometimes people think think that things are so calculated and they were so kind of like yeah. orchestrated and they like in to impeccable manner. Yeah, to I mean, Hitler, for example, and, which isn't yeah. the case. I mean, things, yeah. there's unhappy accidents that happen all the time. You know, yeah. like and that's the thing about history is it's full of accidents and <laughs> right. things that could have easily gone the and, other way. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. the thing that I'm learning. <laughs> right. That I think has been, you know, you you said you mentioned the politics of eternity, and and Snyder has this idea of the politics of inevitability, which is that, uh, you know, a whole generation or two after the fall of the Berlin Wall has been raised on the idea that there are no alternatives, 
that it's just more liberal democracy and that's mm -hmm. just the way progress goes. Mm -hmm. And that's an anti-historical way of thinking about things because things can go a number of different right. ways. And they happen now we're seeing that. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. in hindsight, it's always 2020, right? I mean, so. Yeah. And yeah. Unless you, yeah. Unless, you know, you, you invoke the, the America first as, <laughs> yeah. you know, some kind of new populist politics or unless you, I mean, the Holocaust is getting invoked in all sorts of ways right now that I think are pretty dangerous. Yeah. Uh, one, one, you know, one politician, one Republican politician was saying that liberal uh, assault on CO2 was like the Nazi uh, persecution, yeah, Jews, which, is, which is atrocious, which is an atrocious thing to say. And they're elected into office, right? I mean, it was somebody who ostensibly is a figure of yeah, kind I mean, of authority. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just an ab abuse of history. And then, <laughs> and then there's the whole thing of, you know, uh, AOC saying that these are concentration camps and... You know, and then and then who what one uh, Republican senator saying like, oh, you're you, you know you're completely like this is desensitive. You're you're being insensitive to Jewish concentration camps. Well, this is where it's interesting the fact that most Jews didn't die in concentration camps. This idea that we have of the Holocaust being sure. about concentration camps is wrong. You know, and also by the way, concentration camps existed long before mm -hmm. the Nazis. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting the the discourse right now, and I I think it's. Everyone could benefit from a better understanding of yeah. all of this history. I agree. Yeah. So, did um, in Bloodlands did Timothy Snyder reference Tony Jaa? Is that how you got? So to I the read that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. digressing no, so much no, all over the place. So I read Bloodlands, and then when Donald Trump was elected, he he had a book that came out immediately after called On Tyranny, a small little volume that's just some lessons from the 20th century about basically ways to sort of try to inoculate yourself from. Um, regime change or from things you know for, from from getting co-opted in in uh, authoritarian leaning politics oh, interesting yeah um, so he became kind of a, a really a, a guiding light with that book and then he, his, his next book called The Road to Unfreedom which is a very like old fashioned conservative like historical analysis of the Russian invasion in Ukraine and the fake news there and their fake news in Europe and then them sort of infiltrating the U.S. election. Um, wow. Right. Anyway, so he wrote that. But he also wrote several years ago a book with Tony Jude as Tony Jude was dying mm. of ALS. Right. Um, and it's a book called Thinking the 20th Century. That's just a conversation between them on a number of different, you know, just, just sort of mostly to Tony Jude's uh, areas of study throughout his career yeah yeah interesting it's right. a really beautiful book it's re i mean it's really brilliant and the, the conversation between them is incredible and it's also really poignant because you because you know as you're reading you know you know jude is now dead sadly mm -hmm. and you know this this conversation is happening under the umbrella of that you know that impending right you know yeah loss. did you feel like that was informing some yeah of it was weird because it, it's it's a very like intellectual book and yet i actually you know I, I i wept a single tear at the end of it it was really wow. you know it's yeah. really poignant tony wrote, writes the last chapter and it's sort of like acknowledging this is you know this is mm -hmm. like if i got too personal with this it's because i'm yeah you know this is it right and just to bring it around and kind of tune out, I mean, all of this stuff, it d doesn't come outright in your lyrics, but I mean, it's all being informed in some type of... I yeah, mean, I got... Yeah, especially with offerings, I was really, really f almost like fixated on on, on these problems of, right, of, of the ways I, th I see things going wrong in lots of scary ways. Were you um, deep into the 
some of these history texts at the yeah, time? I, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I was getting kind of deep diving into history at the time. Um, and I just see, like, followed out to a certain conclusion, I think, like some forms of politics or some forms of being in the world are just inevitably going to lead to catastrophe. And I think that's, you know, I just, I, that's not even, a, that's not a controversial thing to say now. Right. Like if we deny climate change, like mm. it's going to be a catastrophe. It's probably going to be a catastrophe anyway, but right. we're just like, you, can you know, mitigate so it, just piling it on at this point. Um, you know, just try, trying to find a way to understand why a certain worldview, I mean, I think the basic thrust of that record is finding why a certain worldview, which is I'm good because I'm me and you're bad because you're an immigrant or you're foreign or you're, you're you have you know different ideas about the world than me, is is going to lead to catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, let's just end. What's your favorite color? Yeah. I, I, Danielle and I are trying. My wife and I are trying to pick out a color f- to paint to paint our our house. Oh, so, so this is this is a, yeah, so a topic a, of late. It's actually yeah. a, a hot topic because I'm <laughs> I want to I'm this is this is kind of um unlike me, but I I want to go with like a kind of brick red, and she's oh. opting for a charcoal. Oh, okay. I'd go charcoal. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah so, brick, so, brick red is kind of you live in a firehouse. <laughs> yeah, so she <laughs> said. Nice All right, you. everybody's against me. Uh, so so charcoal then. Yeah. Charcoal. Uh, All right, favorite you, color. Yeah. You heard it here first. All well, right. I mean, maybe we should ask what what you're working on. It's been a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Offerings. You yeah. Know? yeah. I um. Yeah, we, yeah, and you guys can edit any of this stuff out. I know it's yeah. kind of it's kind of a little off the rails on my no, part. This, um, is, this is perfect. Yeah. Uh, That's the uh, kind of the premise of the oh, show. Cool. Is I I take it. You know, this is my first episode, but <laughs> as uh, as a listener, yeah. I feel like the 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 desire to. Just intent see is to go off yeah. the rails. Yeah, that's, yeah. Sure. It's, it's built for going off right the rails. Off, yeah, <laughs> it's off road. Um, we had a very challenging tour cycle in 2018. Um, hmm. For a number of reasons I, I, I won't get into. The, the, the shows mostly were all really fun and we were like playing, but we, we, um, we toured for four months uh, and we came home and we had basically run out of money. Um, and we were in debt to our management company just just because Europe ended up being so much more expensive than anyone really projected. Mm. And everyone was just so, like, <laughs> overwrought, and we were really counting on having a couple months, like, just paying for a couple months of not having to go back to work and, and you know, trying to make this, like, at least a part-time living. Right. And when we got home and just, like, had to hit the ground running with, get, you know, getting like me going back to my job in Mississippi and everyone either finding jobs or going back to older jobs. Everyone had a hustle. Yeah. It was a hustle and it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was a little, um, little disenfranchising, uh, for folks as far as the idea of like touring for a living. Yeah. Um, we also spent four months together in fairly close quarters. So there was, a, there was <laughs> yeah. sort of a, a feeling of like, I will see you guys in a year. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like right. on everybody's part. Yeah. Um, so we're just now like we're all starting to miss it. We've all gotten together okay. a couple times, and um, you gave it long enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're enough to realize it's a, it's it is an important part of our lives. Good. Meanwhile, I've I've been working on a few. I've got some nascent ideas. I can't I can't quite talk about them yet. But there's like three. I was just talking to my wife about this. So there's like three different projects, and I don't know which one 
I don't know door number one, two, or three to go to go through at this point, but there's kind of three okay. records that nice. I want to make. Might one of them be a solo album, or like, are they all Typhoon records? Do you feel, or what's the difference? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, these three feel like they should be Typhoon in that they sort of all have like an uh, a superstructure, like they have like yeah, a, yeah. a overarching a scaffolding, yeah, yeah. An overarching idea. And a solo album doesn't necessarily collect the of one songs. solo album album I did. Yeah, it was it was way more. I had these I had these songs. Um, there was low pressure as far as yeah. the writing and, and recording, which actually is really fun, and I'd like to do again yeah. because it's so much less like me banging my head against a wall. Um, a, ty- a typhoon record feels more like a statement. It's the the pressure's on. Yeah, a typhoon. I, for whatever reason, I mean, for, for I mean, for one, like more way more people listen to typhoon than right. do my solo <laughs> yeah. records. So, um, so there's so, the pressure so there, of there's, audience. There, there's just that really yeah. basic pressure. But there's also this feeling like it, like with typhoon, it has to be there has to be a kind of grand a grandeur to it or yeah. a scope to it. Right. Um, when you have that big of a band, for one, yeah, you know, there has yeah, to be a grandeur, yeah. And, the, right? and just for yeah. better or worse, that's just kind of what that, what what it is. It's just kind of like. We're geared towards the epic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, so kind of picking what's yeah. Next. So, yeah. so stay tuned. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is coming. All right. Um, and charcoal or firehouse red? We'll just say charcoal. Charcoal. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot for the firehouse red. Uh, okay. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. Thanks, guys. The Steer is recorded at Cable Studios in Portland, Oregon. It's broadcast through Dub Lab Radio, KZUT in Los Angeles, and can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us.